Hey everybody, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. And then everyone watching online, good to see you. Uh, Stapletons, my parents, um, everyone else I saw that was checking in online. So good to see you all. And uh, we just appreciate that you are here with us virtually, as well as everyone who's in the room this morning. My name is Eric, get to be the pastor here. And again, just so glad that you are all here today. What is it with smoke alarms that they only go off at like two in the morning, right? So it's something about that. It's like inevitably they will only go off at like two in the morning. Uh, last week at some point we had gone to bed, you know, and feel like I just entered deep sleep when our smoke alarms went off and I bolt awake terrified, you know, and so I'm racing around the house in my pajamas looking, is there actually uh, smoke? Is there actually a fire? Kristen's getting the kids into the van, driving away. I'm running around the house and finally I see, okay, there's no actual fire. So now I'm, how do I reset our smoke alarms? And we replaced all our smoke alarms recently uh, in the last two years, and we've had some issues with them. And so I cannot figure out how to reset them, how to get it turned off. And so I just start running around, um, grabbing smoke alarms out of the ceiling one by one and just ripping them out of the ceiling because I can't get them to turn off till finally the last one I pull out and I silence it. Um, so this was me uh, last week running around trying to figure out what am I doing. And the other thing you need to know about me is I am basically legally blind. And so uh, I have to have my contacts in. Otherwise, I can't really see anything about this far. That's about as much as I have. And my only pair of glasses are broken. So at two in the morning, I didn't have time to throw my contacts in. So I'm racing around the house, um, but this much vision, uh, bumping into things, just grabbing smoke alarms, pulling them out of the ceiling, trying to make do while I'm basically blind. And later I thought about it. I was like, I really need to get a pair of glasses because I can't always throw contacts in in the middle of the night. But how hard is it when you're trying to do something when you really can't see, when you are blinded? Well, this morning we're going to dive in and just see a story of Jesus meeting a man who'd been blind since birth and what happens in that encounter. Uh, before we dive into God's word today, would you just join me again in a, in a word of prayer? God, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you are the light of the world and that at your name, fear, darkness, they, they flee. So Jesus, I pray that you would just be with me, give me the right words to say this morning as we look at your word. Lord, for those who are hurting and broken, that you would be their healer. Thank you just for already being here with us. So now just give us open eyes and ears to see how you're already at work. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, here at Mosaic, again, we just, as a church, we exist to help you love God, to serve others, and make disciples. That's why we exist as a church and what is a disciple? We've been talking about this. There's a Hebrew word, talmudim, that really the disciple comes from. And, and, and that's it's a follower. Uh, that's it's a disciple, a learner, or even apprentice. I love, I love that word, apprentice. And so we want to apprentice ourselves to Jesus. We want to be his disciples. 
And, and, and this year we've been saying, how do we apprentice ourselves to Jesus? We want to be with Jesus. That's why we gather together in worship. That's why I, I implore you, start your days with Jesus, opening God's word. Say, hey, I'm here to meet with you, Jesus. You know, take a long walk. Uh, this week, uh, there was just some stuff going on in our community, just some people going through stuff. And I had to take some long walks with Jesus. And um, I may have raised my voice at Jesus. Uh, Rachel Jones, I love when she shared her story. She said, you know, sometimes you, you might need to put a chair down and say, all right, Jesus, you and I, we're having a talk right now. And I love that. Um, and sometimes I got to have a walk with Jesus. And, and, and it's good. He, he hears me when I'm wrestling, when I'm doubting, when I'm uh, when I don't get it. And so as, as his apprentices, we, we, we want to be intentional about being with Jesus. And then we want to become like Jesus. We're never going to reach perfection. But, you know, out of all the things in our life that are influencing us, social media, um, the TV shows we watch, the friends we hang out with, we want Jesus to be that thing that's influencing us the most. That when we say, who am I becoming we want to be like Jesus. A, a friend of mine has on his body, he's tattooed um, better at 70. And it's a reminder to him that he wants to become like Jesus. And when he reaches 70, he's a pastor like me, he's a, a 41 years old. He's like, when I'm 70, I want to be kinder. I want to be more gracious, have, have more of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness at 70 than I did at 30 or 40. And he's like, at 70, everyone knows we're going to throw a big party. And I'm really hoping like I'm going to hit this goal that I have been becoming like Jesus. That people look back and say, you know, my grandpa Judah or my dad Judah, he's the kindest man I know. He's the most Christ-like man I know. And I, I love that. We're on this journey. We want to become like Jesus. And then we want to do what Jesus did. That's why we're studying the Gospel of John. So we can read, what did Jesus do? And then how do we do that ourselves? As his apprentices, as his Talmudim, we, we, we want to do those things. Contextually, we'd say, what would Jesus do if he was my gender, if he lived in the 21st century, if he lived in my neighborhood, if, if he was the mom of my kids or the dad of my kids, or if he was in my shoes, how would Jesus live and act? That's how I want to live and act. We've been going through uh, the Gospel of John. And uh, just a quick recap. And I, I love just, again, walking through this Gospel. And, and John, our author, he was probably the youngest disciple. Uh, he's the one that he said he called himself uh, the beloved one. That, that was his identity, was Jesus' beloved and in John 1, we saw that God moved into our neighborhood, that God tabernacled among us. That was that Old Testament picture of the tent that held God's presence, and that's Jesus. In John 2, that, that first miracle of turning the water into wine, that Jesus comes to bring festival joy, this, this celebration feast with him, life to the fullest. In John 3, that Jesus offers eternal life. Jesus meets with this powerful man in the middle of the night. He doesn't quite get it, but Jesus says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What an amazing truth that Jesus tells this religious man in the middle of the night. 
In the next chapter, Jesus is traveling and in the brightest part of the day at noon, he meets with this woman with a sketchy past and maybe she's been wronged, maybe she's been abused. We don't really know her whole story, but we know it's sketchy and, and there's some stuff with men in her past. But Jesus says, I am the living water and I can quench that thirst. And this powerless woman becomes the evangelist and tells her whole tam- town, come see this man who told me everything I knew I ever did. And many believe because of this woman's testimony. And then in John 5, Jesus offers healing. A man who was lame, who couldn't walk. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Take up your mat and walk. John 6, we see that Jesus is our provision and our peace as he feeds the 5,000. He takes those broken pieces and he gives provision. And then as the disciples are on the water, he walks in the water towards them, bringing peace wherever he goes. In John 7, we see that Jesus offers the Holy Spirit. He says, if you believe in me, out of you will flow streams of living water. This was to symbolize the Holy Spirit, which was to come, which hadn't come yet, but that would come after Jesus ascended back to the Father in Acts chapter 1. Uh, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then last week, we talked about how Jesus is the light of the world. They're in this big festival called the Festival of Tabernacles or the Festivals of Booths. And they had this ceremony where they would light these giant lampstands, 50, 60, 70 feet tall. And the young spry priest would crawl up there into these giant bowls, maybe 10 feet across, filled with oil. And they'd light them up at night and light up the whole sky. And in that festival, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then now we're going to see what happens when light goes into the world. This is the end of the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem. I want you to imagine living in this context that Jesus lived in. You're living under the oppressive Roman Empire. There's no safety nets. There's no social security. Uh, there's, there's no uh, food stamps. And into this world was born a baby. And his parents rejoiced. But then they noticed maybe, you know, that this baby, he doesn't quite track with them. And, and they realize he can't see. And they know what that means that their baby was born blind. That he's going to have a rough life. There's really no jobs, no opportunities, no marriage opportunities for him. He's going to have to beg. And this little baby, all this baby has known is darkness. And maybe as he grows, he hears the voice of his mom. And maybe as a little child, he reaches up to touch his mom's face, sometimes wet with maybe her hot tears. As she looks at her little baby boy and knows what kind of life he has in front of him. And as this boy grows up, he has no opportunity to learn the Torah, to be a rabbi's Talmudim. He doesn't have the opportunity to be a a mason or a carpenter. As he hits 13, 14 years old, his parents do their best, but they really have to send him out, and he has to beg for a living. And this man, as he grows up into this environment, and He's really at the mercy of everyone else for everything that he has. In his whole life, he's only known darkness. 
And, and, and he has to try to keep himself safe as he begs, trying to just get enough food to live. And as he's lived, he, he's heard maybe stories about this rabbi Jesus. And he's causing quite the stir, and he's been hearing this rabbi in, in, in the outer courts, in the women's courts, talk about that he's the light of the world, and this man doesn't even know what light is because he's never seen it before. And perhaps he hears the commotion, and then it gets closer to him, and he hears someone spit. <laughs> and, and everyone is quiet. You know that, that hushed silence of a crowd when they're like, what is going on? And he hears these footsteps, and then all of a sudden, on his eyes, he feels this mud. And he hears Jesus say, I'm the light of the world. Go to the pool named Scent, the pool of Siloam, and wash. And this man, in trembling, he's wondering, what does this mean? Could I truly be healed? I've never known this. And everyone's staring at him, and he feels the warm mud on his face, and he's like, I don't know what to do, but he takes that step of faith, and he, he stumbles his way to the pool, and as he washes off his eyes, perhaps the first thing he sees is his own reflection in the water, the first thing he's ever seen. And can you imagine creation exploding as you see the green of trees for the first time and the blue of the sky for the first time and, and people and all of that because Jesus noticed him. As we turn to John chapter 9, here's how he writes it. It says, Jesus is, is talking and teaching. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world and this man who'd been blind since birth, this beggar, he hears Jesus say this. And then Jesus, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. We're going to come back to that. That's important. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This man's life was changed forever in an encounter with Jesus. This man, he didn't even say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't even say, Jesus, can you heal me? He was just lying in a state of darkness. And Jesus, in his grace, comes to him. As this man lays on the ground, I, I picture Jesus spitting on the ground, and he has to get down to make that mud, and he anoints the man's eyes. And maybe Jesus is still sitting there smiling when this man runs to the pool and he comes back and he can see for the first time and just picture Jesus' big grin as he's able to change this man's life. Well, this man, he runs home to tell his parents, I once was blind, but now I see. And the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, he just looks like him. It's not really him. But the man who was healed said, no, I am that man. I am that blind beggar. And so the neighbors brought him to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the man who had formerly been blind. Why? It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. You see, 
one of the defining characteristics of the Jewish people that set them apart from everyone else. Everyone else in the ancient world, they worked seven days a week, except for the very rich of the richest. There's no weekends. Everyone worked seven days a week, except the Jewish people worked six days a week. And God said, you are to remember that you are different, that you are holy and set apart by taking one day a week to do no work. You can't even make mud on this one day a week. And yet Jesus, he's breaking this sacred commandment. He's making mud. He's healing people. And so the religious leaders are like, what is going on? And some of the Pharisees, again, these are the religious leaders and teachers. They were trying to serve God, but they kind of lost the plot. And instead of, out of a love for God, they got caught up in all the rules and traditions. And they said, this man, Jesus, he's not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. They're like, God told us not to work, but yet this work, man is, is working on the Sabbath, but yet how could a sinner heal a man's eyes? I don't get it. And there's division and they're arguing. You know, it's, it's fortunate that religious people never argue now about God and how to you know, interpret things, that we've moved way past that, right? He said with sarcasm, the Jews, uh, John uses this word as kind of shorthand for the religious leaders. It doesn't mean like every single Jewish person in Jerusalem, but just kind of the leaders. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He's an adult. He will speak for himself. Okay. Why are the parents responding like this? Like, wouldn't they be overjoyed? Our son, is, he can see. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, the religious leaders. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, that means the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior, he was going to be put out of the synagogue. So in the Jewish time, they, they had the temple, and they had these little synagogues. And synagogues were like house churches or, or smaller churches. And the religious leader said, if any of you confess that Jesus, he's the one we've been waiting for, we're going to kick you out. We're going to excommunicate you. And so the parents, they're worried. This is kind of the center of their, their whole life. And, and, you know, this is their small group. And they'd study scriptures together. And they'd, they'd go to synagogue and, and read God's word and, and, and worship. So they're worried. They don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. They don't want to be excommunicated. So they're like, uh, our son's an adult. You ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered. Now remember, uneducated, beggar, never seen in his whole life. This is all new to him. Speaking back to the highly, highly educated Jewish leaders who'd probably had the whole Old Testament memorized. But he stands in faith and he says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. He says, I don't know much. 
I don't have the whole Torah memorized. I don't know all the, the Mishnah, the rabbi uh, commentary that you all have memorized and you've debated, but I have my story. I have my testimony that I just know I once was blind, but now I see. He said, goes on to say, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. Because at this time, a lot of people thought if you were born with a deformity or you, you were born lame or blind, then your parents must have sinned or something. There were even some weird theology that believed you could sin in your mom's womb, and that's why you were born uh, you know, with, with uh, difficulties or special needs. So that's what they're saying. You were born in utter sin. You sinner, your parents sinner. Someone sinned that you were born into, as blind, and they cast him out. They excommunicated him from the synagogue. You're not welcome around here anymore. But Jesus heard they had cast him out. And having found him, don't you love that Jesus goes looking for the lost? The ones that are kicked out, the ones that feel like they don't belong, the ones that say, hey, you're not welcome here. Jesus is always looking. Just this week, it just hit me again reading the parable of the prodigal son. And we read that, and it's powerful, but do you ever think of hearing that from actually Jesus' lips? Saying, this is what my father and I are like. While that prodigal was still a long ways off, the father ran to him. Jesus saying, that is what God is like. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, if you want some homework, go, on, go home and unpack that phrase. This is Jesus' favorite phrase for himself. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they often say he's the Son of God. Jesus preferred the title Son of Man. It points back to the book of Daniel and the, uh, the kind of the God-man figure that was uh, the anointed one that was to come. Uh, but again, if you want some homework this week, you want to dive into something fun, dive into this phrase Son of Man, the book of Daniel, that's what Jesus refers to himself as. And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. I think maybe Jesus said this a chuckle. Because this man had seen nothing in his life before. And now he's standing in front of him and he's like, You've seen him. And I just, I like to picture Jesus, because I think growing up so much, I just kind of picture Jesus as, I don't know, a little stern or I don't know, but now I like to think of him more with a twinkle in his eye and a smile on his face. You've seen him. And it's he who's speaking to you. It's me. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Again, what's the number one commandment Jewish people would not do. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no graven image. You shall not bow down and worship anyone other than the one true God. 
What is this man saying? He believes Jesus is God. The least likely people to believe that a man could be God at the same time as a man were first century Jewish people. The Greeks, the Romans, they all had these myths of, of Hercules or Zeus getting on with different mortal women and, and they have avatars walking around in different Eastern religions, things like that. But a Jewish person, no, 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 no. That is their one. No, no, no. We only worship the one true God. So for this man to bow down, he is saying Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is that pillar of light and smoke and flame that led the Israelites through the wilderness. This man, Jesus, somehow is both divine and human, and he worshiped him. This man was cast out of the temple, but the tabernacle, the word became flesh, the light of the world went out and found him. What a beautiful picture. This man was rejected by the religious institutions of his days, by the people who said, you know, you're not welcome here. And Jesus, the one who tabernacled among us, who moved into our neighborhood, he went out and he found this man. Jesus, the son of man. Jesus is the sent one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. When God looked at us, he said, they don't need just a life coach. They don't just need some wisdom. They don't just need a doctor to bring some healing. They need me. So Jesus came to bring the dead to life, not just to make bad people good. Jesus is the sent one who left his home, his privileges, his rights in heaven to live as one of us. And the writer of Hebrews says, now we don't have a priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses because he's walked in our shoes. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to experience death and suffering and hurt and hunger because he's the sent one. And Jesus finds those who are hurting, man, all throughout the book of John, he, he, he says he must go that way through Samaria to find that woman who's hurting. He goes to the, the pool of Bethesda to find that hurting man who had been lying, lame. He goes and he finds the blind man who'd been blind since birth. Then that man gets cast out of his community, his synagogue, and he finds him. And Jesus doesn't offer just physical healing to the man. He offers spiritual healing. And this man moves from just an encounter with Jesus, just blessed by Jesus, to having his faith and trust in Jesus and proclaiming that he is God. And then Jesus brings healing. Spiritual and physical. Now, I gotta be honest. I knew I was preaching on this a while ago. And, uh, and then I know in two weeks I'm preaching on, on resurrection. In 2021 uh, has not been the greatest in some ways because young dads have work accidents and die way too young. And babies are stillborn the day before their due date. 
And I asked God, why couldn't you heal? And I know that you can, so why are you choosing not to? And I had to have some talks with Jesus this week. The thing is, there are no easy answers. We live in a broken, fallen world. Disease, hurt, pain exists. I don't know why. Some babies are born, and when Andrew came out, you know, his cord is wrapped multiple times around his neck, our, our five-year-old. And one more day, and he probably wouldn't be here. God spared his life. But why didn't he spare the life for that baby this week? I don't know. But I do know that Jesus brings healing through the hurt. That even when he experienced loss, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he walks us through the hurt and the pain. And the physical healing doesn't always happen. And we don't know why. But that emotional, spiritual healing does come through Jesus. As we grieve, as we talk with him, and over time, we experience healing. I shared a quote this week from Anne Lamott. Just that when we experience that kind of loss, like it'll mark us forever. But we'll carry those people with us forever. And eventually we'll heal like that broken leg, but we'll always feel it in, when the weather's changing. It's always going to be there, but eventually we learn to dance with that leg that was once broken. But it's now a part of us. I can tell you that's true. And I love that when Jesus was resurrected, his body was made new. The chunks of flesh that the, the whip had ripped out was, was, was wiped away. There were no more marks on his forehead. But Jesus left the scars in his hands and the spear in his side. He could, have, he could have healed that. But I love that Jesus left the scars behind. Because as we heal, we're left with these scars. And he's like, I know what, I know what it's like to be marked by pain and hurt. How do we follow Jesus? Like this man, we believe in Jesus. This man who was blind, he had this encounter with Jesus, but then he took that next step to say, I don't just want something from you, Jesus, but I'm going to bow the knee and I'm going to worship you. And that's what it means to believe in Jesus. It's not just to believe he existed, he died on the cross one day, but to say, you are God, and so I'm going to follow you now. You are my Savior. You are my God. I'm your Talmudim. I'm your apprentice. It's not a one-time event. It's an act of continuously believing and following in Jesus. And then be sent out. This man was kicked out of his tabernacle. But he started sharing his story, and that story began to spread. And in the same way, we are to be sent out to share the good news of Jesus, what he's done in our lives. 
And this man, he didn't have all the answers. He didn't have any education. He says, I don't know about all that, but what I can tell you is I once was blind, but now I see. And if you've had an encounter with Jesus, you can share that same story. I once was blind, but now I see. Share your testimony. There's uh, a Greek poet and songwriter named Leonard Cohen. He's written a song probably everyone's heard um, called uh, Hallelujah. It's it's in the Shrek movie, you know. Uh, It's a beautiful song. He he has another song called Anthem. And and this actually gets misquoted a lot. Sometimes it's ascribed to Hemingway. It's actually a Leonard Cohen quote, and sometimes a different Hemingway quote gets mixed up with it. But basically what Leonard Cohen says is that everything is broken, but that's how the light gets in. And for the longest time, I thought that was a beautiful quote. I I still think it is, but I would like to posit an alternative way of looking at that. That we are all broken and have cracks and holes, but that's not just how the light gets in. That's how the light gets out. Go ahead. See, when the world around us is so dark and so uncertain, when there's no cracks, there's no hurt, there's no brokenness, the light doesn't really come out. But when you go to the hospital, like I did yesterday, to pray with a couple as they held their baby who had just died, you can say, I don't know your pain, but I know what it's like to have four miscarriages. And they may have passed away in the first trimester, but I understand what it's like that you had this picture of your future and it's changed forever. And those cracks, those holes, light comes out. And when a little boy loses his father to a horrible work accident, you can say, I don't know what that's like to lose my dad. But in sixth grade, my best friend, Joshua, he died of cancer. I know what that's like to lose someone you love. And all those little cracks that you felt, that now through those spots where you've been broken and, and put back together, the light of Jesus that's inside of you, it spills out. And all those things that marked you and the job losses and the uncertainty and the the infertility and the betrayals and the illnesses and all those things that you wondered why they happened, you still aren't glad they happened, but now you know 
that Jesus' light spills out through all those cracks, through all those little places where we're broken. And through that, Jesus works healing. You can go to the normal lights. Though we face persecution, though we go through tough times, we may not have all the answers, but Jesus will always be with us. Here's what Jesus says in John 16, 33. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tough times. But take heart. I have overcome the world. One of our foundational verses here at Mosaic, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus says, go, you are the sent ones, therefore, and make disciples, Talmudim, other apprentices of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As we are sent out, as we go, Jesus is with us. Luke 10, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. The 72, after they were sent out, they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons, these are false, fallen angels, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he, Jesus, said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You have authority over the evil one. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy that at the name of Jesus, darkness has no power, that all the darkness in the world can't overcome a simple candle, a simple nightlight, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that your spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus saying, I've given you power. The enemy has nothing against you. And that's amazing, but the thing to really celebrate, that your name is written in the book of heaven, that you are my followers, that you have life, that you are my Talmudim, my disciples, that you will have eternal life through me. As we close this morning, uh, Ethan's going to walk around and give you a glow stick. Um, why a glow stick? Uh, I think they're cool, and I want you to have one. Um, but I was thinking about glow sticks this week, how they really don't work just sitting there. The only way glow sticks light up is when they are broken. And as you break them, they start to light up. And so I want you to think about all the things that you thought were going to break you, the trials that you did not expect, the hurt, the pain, 
maybe personally or in your friend's life. But that brokenness does have a purpose. To let the light shine. And I believe that each and every one of us, we have a story, a testimony that we can share. You don't have to have all the answers or a theological degree or know your Bible super well. That's good. But you can say, all I know is I once was blind and now I see. I once was spiritually dead and now I'm alive. Once I was addicted to to this and now Jesus has set me free. Once shame held me back, but now I'm finding freedom as I walk with Jesus. Once anxiety and depression had such a grip on me, but you know what? Now I'm finding freedom as I walk with Jesus. And it doesn't mean that everything is perfect. It doesn't mean I have it all figured out. But now through all this brokenness, the light is shining through me, coming out through those cracks, through that brokenness. Mosaic, we are all broken. We are all imperfect. And we don't say that just so that we can rejoice in our brokenness. We say that to say so that the light can shine through us, through those cracks in us, so that people around us in this dark world who are dealing with depression and anxiety and people are numbing their pain so much now. People are, are, are lashing out at their, their loved ones. People are feeling hopeless and broken. And in this dark world, God wants to shine his light through us, through our, our brokenness, through, through all the ways that we are imperfect. That is when God is glorified the most, by using broken, imperfect people to let that light spill out. So take that glow stick. Break it. Don't drink it. I tell my kids. It is poison, so I just say, you know. But let this be a reminder that you are to shine light. And as this glow stick fades over the next 24 hours, don't let your light fade. Ask God, journal, how do you want me to shine my light into this dark and broken world? And church, go be light. Share your story. Share your testimony. Because people can argue facts or or logic, but they can't argue your story. And when you say, I once was blind, but now I see There's nothing to argue with about that. Would you stand with me as we sing this closing song? Jesus, thank you. You are the sent one. You you left all your rights and privileges of heaven and you came to earth and you walked among us and you you, you knew what it was like to be hungry and, and thirsty and tired and, and weary and overcome by all the needs of the, of the broken people. And you also knew what it was like to have good friendships and to sit outside under the stars around a bonfire and to take a nap on a boat and, and all the goodness of creation. And Jesus, I thank you that you are our healer. And there are times when you heal in a moment and, and we rejoice in that and those miracles But we also know there are times when there's no easy answers, but you walk with us through the hurt, through the pain as we journey together towards healing. So God, I pray that now each and every one of us, God, we we would see that those 
places in our life where we've experienced brokenness and, and we feel chipped and we feel maybe like a, a broken toy taped back together or put back together with super glue that's imperfect. But God, that, that's where the light shines through in those broken cracks. So Lord, I pray that we would all be light. In whatever way you have for us, in our homes, in our works, in our neighborhoods, God, that our church would be a beacon of light here in Osseo, Maple Grove, Champlin, Rogers, Dayton, Corcoran, Brooklyn Park. God, we just want to shine your goodness. We just want to reflect you, the light of the world. God, I just pray for everyone here in this room, everyone watching online, that just now they'd, they'd feel your Holy Spirit. You begin to just continue to heal those broken places. You'd put us back together, that we'd allow you to do the deep work that is needed for us to find healing and wholeness in you. And Jesus, we just want to continue to lift up those in our community who are going through hard things. And God, I pray also that you just continue to convict those areas of our life, that God, that we need to turn over to you. Or maybe we've been messing around in, in sin or different areas. And, and as a patient father, you've been waiting. But help us to just to turn from those things that we know we shouldn't be doing. To walk in your way, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, uh, this is a new song, but I, I just love the words. Uh, this is my testimony from death to life. And uh, the opening verses comes from that passage in Matthew where Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He's saying that as his church, the enemy has nothing against us. The gates of hell cannot prevail. We get to go out and be light to bring God's kingdom wherever we go. Let's go out of here singing this last song. <laughs>